You know, I got to say to you as Christ Church, it's, uh, I just thank you for running God's errands, running God's errands with Urban Impact. I mean, if you were here Friday and Saturday night, how many of you were here? It was unbelievable. Amen. It was unbelievable. I mean, I, 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 unbelievable. You know, they tell me, they tell me anywhere between 2,400 to over 3,000 people. I, that doesn't really matter. I'll tell you what really matters. As I was preaching up here and I was able to look out to that crowd of people and I asked them, those that wanted to come to know Jesus Christ, to raise their hands, without exaggeration, without, there was well over 300,000, 300 or close to 400 people who raised their hands to come to know Jesus Christ, without a doubt. Praise the Lord. And what I'm so excited about is the fact that we have locked arms together for 15 plus years and I'm looking forward for the next 15. As Urban Impact and Christ Church locks arms together and we go out and we're going we're gonna to take more people from the enemy and bring them into the kingdom of God together. Amen? That's what we're going to do. And I want to I just ask you to do something before I move on, and, that, and that's this. Uh, Pastor John did a wonderful job on Friday and Saturday telling about an unbelievable gift that we were given. And I, you are my family. This is the family. This is my church. This is my family goes... I need you to pray for us. I need you to pray for Urban Impact. I am not asking you to give. You give enough. But I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to pray that Urban Impact was given a gift of $100,000. It's a matching gift. For every new dollar that comes in between now and the end of, uh, end of this month would be matched up to $100,000. That means if you gave $10... At the year end, and you give 15, the $5 is matched. Any new money, so you, you can double your money, double your impact, as Pastor John said. I, we've got to meet that match. And I'm asking you to please pray. Pray. And, 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 if, and if you God leads you to give first, you give to Christ's church. You give to this church. If you've got something left over, then fine. But I'm encouraging you to send that message out through whatever you can. If you're talking to people, just tell them. There is a great ministry changing people. There was over 300 kids up here. When those kids just did what they did, there was a hundred and some. We sang the song better than that tape. It was unbelievable. And we're making a difference together. So please tell that story so that people will give and we'll meet that match. Can you believe it with me? We're going to meet that match. We're going to see people's lives being impacted. Please pray for that. All right, today we're going to start a new series. The new series is called Expect the Unexpected. And I'm expecting the unexpected at Christmas, believe me. And this is Christmas. I love Christmas. I mean, I love it. And today's sermon is called The Unexpected Audience. And our passage is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, which has been read beautifully with a, for, for us today. But before we begin, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And I give you thanks I give you thanks that today that you are our Savior, that you were born, and you, were, you went to the cross and you were raised again from the dead. And I would ask right now that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. And Lord, that you would fill me with your spirit and you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. That you would not allow us just to hear your word, but we would be doers of it. We take authority over anything and everything that would try to hinder what you're trying to do and that you would have your way today. Fill us, fill me with your spirit, that we might hear and understand your word. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Throughout the entire Old Testament, from, Gen from Genesis to Malachi, 
There is prophecy after prophecy proclaiming that the Messiah would come. And then there's 400 years of silence. God does not speak. From Malachi to the New Testament, no prophet, no new revelation, God is silent. And then finally, the silence is broken. And an angel goes to Mary, then another, and then the same angel most likely goes to to Joseph, and then eventually goes out into a field and speaks to a bunch of nameless shepherds watching sheep. And that's where we pick up our story, and it says this. Our story starts in Luke chapter 2, verse 8 and 11. I am going to be focusing on two verses, predominantly in this passage, verse 10 and 11. But in verse 8 it says, And there will be shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I'll bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. You know, you would expect God to announce that his son was born to the powerful. You think he'd show up to the powerful, to the wealthy, to those who had great influence, those who were, who were politically connected, those who were superior educationally. But that doesn't what he, that's not what he does. Instead, he goes to a group of nameless shepherds. You know, the great historian Josephus tells us this about shepherds, generally speaking about shepherds. The shepherds were viewed as outcasts. They were with animals all the time, and therefore they were considered ceremonially unclean for the temple and religious rituals. They were, if you will, low on the totem pole of society. So they were outcasts. In other words, they couldn't get, go mainstream society. And then they were unclean, so they couldn't go to church. I mean, these guys were the low of the lowest. And what it reminds us is this, that God's ways are not man's ways. You know, if man would have been in charge, they would have announced to the famous, to the rich, to the powerful, that the son was born. But not God. God does it another way. He goes to an anonymous group of people who are nobodies. And what it tells us, what we know of God, God loves to take the ordinary and do extraordinary things with them. That's who he is. Maybe this morning you're sitting there and you feel like you're anonymous. You feel like you walk into this crowd and you're like nameless and you don't even know if anybody really cares about you. You're a couple, but you're not really connected. You feel like nobody. It's like you're invisible. And if that's what you feel like right here today, I want you to know that's not right. That's not true. Because there's somebody in this room who knows your name. He had, you have his undivided attention. He knows every hair on your head. He knows your name. He's with you all the time, and we know who that is. His name is Jesus. And I'll say something to you. Just as the angel spoke to those nobodies, Jesus wants to speak to us. If we'll listen, he's got something wonderful to say to us. Just like the angel spoke to those shepherds, God wants to speak to you today. And the message is the same. As 2,000 plus years ago, the message is the same, and it's found in verse 10 and 11. And it says this. Verse 10 says, but the angel said to them, 
But the angel said to us, but Jesus said to us, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. A Savior has been born to you. A Savior has been born to you. You get that? Say that with me. A Savior has been born to you. I love that Christmas card. I love that some of you sent it, some of you receive it. It says this. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a savior. God sent us a savior to meet our greatest need. And our greatest need was to be forgiven. You know, I've been closing in on 30 years of ministry. And I've counseled numerous number I mean so many people and what everyone wants to know they want to know if they're loved and forgiven that's what you want to know you want to know am I loved am I forgiven and the Christmas message is just that you can know that you're loved and forgiven because God sent us a savior Jesus Christ This morning, I want to highlight five important truths about Jesus being our Savior. Number one, prophecy. Two, the person. Three, the people. Four, the problem. And five, the provision. If you have your pen, I'll, I'll say those again for you. The prophecy, the person, the people, the problem, and then the provision. Let's look, first of all, at the prophecy. Throughout the Christmas story, there are a number of prophecies that are being fulfilled. A number of them. For example, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says this. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is a prophecy that Isaiah made concerning how Jesus would be born. And it's fulfilled in the New Testament, actually in the the book of Matthew. But then in our our passage, verse 11, it says, Today in the town of David. Now the town of David, everybody knew in that day that that town was called Bethlehem. Everybody. Just like when I say the Big Apple. When I say the Big Apple, you know I'm talking about New York City. Well, when they would have heard the town of David, they said, Bethlehem. Going to be born in Bethlehem. A Savior's been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And what the angel said there was a prophecy that was being fulfilled. It was being fulfilled in Bethlehem that night, and they were being told. And that prophecy comes out of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And it says this, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small, you small among the clans of Judah. See, I love that. That nobody, you know, that anonymous, that nameless group of people. God loves that. Loves taking those ordinary stuff doing extraordinary stuff with him. Isn't that encouraging to you? Man, I'm ordinary. I need God to do some stuff. How about you? That's what he says. He says, the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Did you know that there are 331 prophecies written in the Old Testament concerning the birth, the death, the resurrection, 
and the ascension of the Messiah? And did, we, did you know that Jesus Christ fulfilled all, all 331 prophecies? I mean, 100% accuracy fulfilled 330. What's the odds of that? One person's life fulfilling 331 prophecies that were foretold hundreds of years before that person ever showed up. What's, I didn't know those, those odds, so I picked up this book called Science Speaks. Pastor John and I tell this all the time because it's, it just encourages our heart. Doesn't it encourage your heart, Pastor John? It does mine every time. Every time I hear this, it just reinforces Jesus is who he said he was. And what that angel said is absolutely true. He fulfilled 331 prophecies in his lifetime. Absolutely. And I said, what's the odds of that? Well, there's a guy named Peter Stoner who wrote this book called Science Speaks. He's a mathematician. He's a, he's a professor at the Westmont College. And he takes on the fact he's, that if eight prophecies were fulfilled in one person's life, what would the odds of that? And he said, after doing all the calculations, how they did that, I have no idea. But they came up with one in ten of the 17th power. That's one with 17 zeros behind it. Now, that's such a big number, that doesn't really have any kind of an impact on us. Because it's so big, it's kind of like the national debt, right? I mean, 18 trillion, 19, I mean, how big is that? Well, the number's huge. So, Peter Stoner gives us an illustration, because he knows we're not all math minds. So he gives us an illustration so we can understand the impact of that, of that very fact. He says, imagine that you had enough silver dollars that you could fill up the state of Texas two feet deep. Now think about the state of Texas. It's huge. I mean, you could put Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and probably West Virginia inside of Pennsylvania. I mean, inside of Texas. It's huge. And you've got enough silver dollars to pack that place out two feet deep. And he said, but then you've got to take one silver dollar, you've got to put an X on it, and you hide it somewhere in the state of Texas, and then you blindfold one person, and you tell that person that person can go anywhere they want in the state of Texas, but the first time they reach down and they grab a silver dollar, they've got to pick up the silver dollar with the X on it. The chances of that happen is one in ten of the 17th power. That's amazing. And what that means is that for that chance to happen, that's, almost, that's a miracle, isn't it? That would be unbelievable. And the fact that Jesus doesn't do it one with 17, he does it the first time. He's born. He's born where? In Bethlehem. Does he have, does he have a choice there? Can he control? Did you, did you choose where you were born? Did you choose the place that you were born? No way. You didn't. He did that. But you know what? He's different than you and me. Because he's not only man, but he's God. He was in control. He controlled the whole situation. And he controlled it so that he would absolutely fulfill all 331 of those prophecies so that we would know for certain that he is who he said he is. That he is the savior of the world. You know, the students got together after Stoner did this. And they decided to take on 48 of those prophecies. And they found out that this this is the number that they gave. If Jesus, if someone just fulfilled 48 of those 331 it would be one in 10 of 157th power. That's one with 157 zeros behind it. You can't even put your mind, it could find an illustration to put your mind around that fact. You know what that means? What that says to you and me, it says this. Hear me, what that angel said to those people that night. 
The fact that Jesus fulfilled all 331 prophecies 100% accuracy only proves that what the angels declared that night is absolutely true. But you know, the angels didn't, didn't claim, didn't just claim, the angel didn't just claim that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus himself said it. Matter of fact, he made four claims that absolutely, absolutely set him apart from any other person who has ever walked on the face of the planet, especially any other religious leader. He said four things that confirmed that he is the Savior. He said in John chapter 4, verse 9 and 11, he claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. No other person who's sane and nobody else who is any religious leader ever made the claim that they were God, but Jesus did. And he said this, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Matter of fact, the reason they crucified him is because he declared that he's God. That statement sets him apart. The second statement that he made is this, that Jesus claimed to die for the sins of the people. That he was going to die. Nobody else made that claim, but he did. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 24, verse 46 and 47. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And Jesus died on that cross. And he said he's dying for your sin and for mine. But then he didn't just die, but then he was raised again from the dead. That takes us to the fourth claim. He said that he was going to walk out of the grave, that he was the resurrection. No one else made that claim and then backed it up. You go to all the religious, play, religious leaders, their bones are still sitting in the ground. You can go there and you can see where they're born, most of them, I mean, where they're buried, most of them. And you can see. But when you go to the tomb... The tomb is empty because Jesus Christ walked out of that grave. Because he walked out of the grave, he is who he said he is. And what that means for you and me is this, that Jesus Christ died on that cross for our sins. He was raised again from the dead. And he alone has the power and authority to forgive us and to give to us eternal life. He has that power. He has that authority. And why did he do all that? It takes us to our third point, the people. The people, this is what it says in verse 10. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. In that word all, is there any limits to that word? Are there any restrictions to that word? No. In other words, Jesus came for all people. He came for all the Jews, all the Gentiles, all the weak, all the strong, all the rich, all the poor. He came for all the Muslims. He came for all the Baptists. He came for all the Protestants. He came for all the Catholics. He came for everybody, the atheists and everybody. He came for them all and anybody who calls upon his name and believes upon him, he will save their soul, forgive them of their sin, and heaven will be their home. He came for us all. But the point is, what's so important is that we've got to believe upon him. See, we're not talking about religion. We're talking about having a relationship with a living Christ. All that other stuff teaches something totally different, but Jesus teaches something totally. You know what? There's another statement that Jesus made. Jesus said this, and I used it, I switched it around a little bit this morning. I want, I want to say this. Jesus claimed salvation through grace not works. Jesus claimed salvation through salvation through grace, not works. In other words, he said, listen, salvation is a gift. You receive this gift by faith, not works. 
You see all those other religions, that's why I was saying Muslims and, ba- and, ba- and all these different groups of religions. That's a religion. And, and what it is, is all religion, all religions except Jesus Christ, claims that you've got to work yourself into the kingdom of God. All of them, you've got to work yourself into the kingdom of God. I was in a class with Ravi Zacharias, and we were studying world religions when I was in seminary. He's my professor. And there was a Hindu, he was there with me. And I told him what I just said, and he said, I don't believe that. I said, well, when we get done, we'll talk. We got done, and we started all the religions. He said, to me, he said this. He said, you know what? Every, you know, you're right. Studying all the religions is man trying to reach to God. Man trying to be good enough so that God would approve of him. But only in Christianity does God reach down to man through the person of Jesus Christ and give salvation for free through his son, Jesus Christ. It's not about our work, but it's about trusting in his finished work on the cross and the fact that he was raised again from the dead. That guy got it. That's the difference. That's why I'm saying that all, all can come to Christ. Everybody can come to Christ. Because he died for us all. To have a relationship with him. But there's a problem. A huge problem. And the problem is this. The Bible says we've all sinned. You know, there's one thing we all have in common in this room. We all sin. But we all in this room, we all have this desire. We all desire to know that we're loved and forgiven. Just as we've sinned, we desire to be loved and forgiven. And what's so important to understand, and the reason why we desire that, is because we know deep down in our hearts, deep down, if you will, in your engine room, you know that you're not perfect. You know that you've said things and done things. I know that I've said things and done things that I wish I could, I could take back, but I said them. You wish you could rewind the tape and start over, but you did it. And the Bible says that when we do that, that's called sin. But the message is this, that you can know that you're loved and forgiven if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, because that's why he came. But there's this deep desire within us, and we struggle. We struggle, and, and I think I can sum up the Christmas message in a very simple verse, a verse that's famous, John three sixteen. It says this, for God so loved the world, say it with me, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, we got a problem, and we want to be loved and forgiven, and right there in that verse it says, for God so loved you know that, that word right there, love, describes two things. It describes the nature of God, that God is love, and it also describes the kind of love that God has towards us. God is love. That's who he is. But he also, the kind of love that he has for us is this. It's unconditional. That means there's no strings attached. It's absolutely free. What that means is that you can't do anything. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. God loves you. And then it says, for God so loved the world. We know that God created the world. He created everything in it. That means he created you. Why? What's your purpose? He created you for the purpose of loving you. He created you for a purpose to have a relationship with you and with me. But the problem is, we didn't want to have a relationship with him. 
So we went and we did our own thing. We want to do our own thing. We know what God is asking us to do, but we don't want to do it. We want to do our own thing. And the Bible says we've all sinned and we all have rebelled. We've all gone astray. We've all broken the laws of God. And God says that sin. And when you break the laws of God, what happens is you are separated from God. It's not that God separated from you. You and I, we just said we don't want to do it. And folks, those of us who are Christians still struggle with that, don't we? We want to do this and our conscience tells us to do this, but we do exactly what we know we're not supposed to. We still rebel. We still, you know what? We need a savior. We need a savior. And, and, here's, and, and, and because we have broken off from God, we got a huge problem. You and me, we have a huge problem. That problem is God is, because we've sinned, God is love, but he's also just. Say that with me. God is what? Love. And he's also just. You know what that means? It means this. When you and I die, we're going to stand before God. Every one of us. Death is coming. And we will stand before God and we will give an account for everything we've ever said and done. Everything we've ever said and done privately, publicly, or in secret. And because God is just, he will hold us responsible for our actions and he will judge us accordingly. The Bible we just read the Nicene Creed. It says that he, Jesus, not the God the Father, Jesus will judge the living and the dead. He judges us. If we're in our sin, the only option he has, because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, is separate himself from us. Now usually when I say this, people will say, wait a minute, Pastor Ed, you just told us that God loves us. If he loves us so much, why doesn't he just forgive us? Just forgive it. That's what I do with my kids, they say. My kids screw up and screw up, and I just keep forgiving them. Why can't he just forgive? Because he's just. And I always say this. I turn around and I say, wait, let me ask you a question. I wonder if the legal system that we live in today just did that. They just decided, okay, we're going to love everybody and just forgive everybody. It doesn't matter what they've done, who they've done it to. We're going to open up the prisons, let everybody go. Anybody comes before the judge, they're just forgiven. What do you think of that? They always say, oh, no way, man. That's not fair. That's, that, there would be no justice. And I say, that's not only true on the earth, but that's true in heaven. God has to be true to himself and to his law. And the law says that the wages of sin is death, so somebody's got to die. Somebody's got to die. This is the good news. That's the bad. Here's the good news. The good news is that God is love. God is just, but God is merciful. Oh, man. Merciful. Do you know what that means? I mean, do you, I didn't know what that really meant. But here's what this verse says. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be judged, shall not be separated from God, but would be given what? Given what? Eternal. Say it. Given what? Say it like you mean it. Give it what? Eternal life. That's what Christmas is about. Does that not make you excited? Does that not make you inside say to yourself, good grief. I know how I know that I can be forgiven and how I can be loved. I've searched for this all my life. I've slept with people. I've gotten drunk. I'm drugged. I run around. I chase money. I've chased women and boys. I've done all these things and I am empty. But I have just found out how I can know that I know that I'm loved and I'm forgiven. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. And I know when I die, I go from this place into his presence forever and ever because he loved me.
He took my place. That's Christmas. That's awesome to me. You see, I was born in a home with an atheist. I never went to church. I had no clue. When I found out that truth, it changed my life and it can change yours. Here's the deal. That not only did God love us and, have, and he's, he's a person who's just, a God who's just, but he's also merciful. I didn't understand that. Really didn't. Oh, I understood what I just said to you. That Jesus died on the cross. You see, God gave his one and only. His one and only what? Son. Have you ever had something that's one and only? You only have one of it and somebody wants it? What do you say? No, it's my one and only. You can't have that. That's not what God said. God saw the problem, loved us so much. He talked to his son. He said, son, are you willing to go down there and die for them? And he voluntarily said yes. He became a child. He grew up. He went to a cross. He died on that cross for our sin. And he died as a sacrifice to take our sin away. And then God the Father raised him from the dead. And he lives. And he's in this room. And you and I can have a relationship with him. And that's called mercy. But I didn't understand it. Oh, intellectually, I could tell you, but I didn't understand it right here. And I think in this room, there's a lot of you who do not understand it right here. Because as I'm preaching, you would go inside like crazy because you understood what mercy really meant. Here's what really helped me. I hope it helps you. One day, I was driving around on the north side, and I went through three lights. Two were blinking yellow. One was a blinking red. I went through those lights, went through the red light. It was blinking. I really didn't see it. Went through it. Cop pulled me over, gave me a ticket for breaking the law. I went through a red light. I took the ticket, put it in the glove box, drove away. I was just, I'm not going to deal with it. Drove about 100 100 feet and thought, that's crazy. They got my license. They know who I am. No matter how I deny it, I've done it. I said, oh, no, I remember this one time somebody told me that if you fight it, you write guilty on the ticket, send it in, and the officer doesn't show up, they'll let you go. So that's what I did. I said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to say guilty. I'm not guilty. I'm going to send this in. I'm going to pray that you will not let this officer show up. That's what I started. Don't let him show up. And then all of a sudden this thought came to my mind. But you broke the law, Ed. I said, oh, man. Well, I got one last shot. I'm just going to go down and plead the mercy of the court. So two weeks later, I went down. Went into the traffic court. And I'm telling you, it was a big room. About 100 plus people are in the room. It was packed. And I walked in. I saw all those violators. I thought, wow, they're just like me. Everybody screws up. Isn't that amazing? I felt better about myself. Walked in, everybody. I sat down. There was one chair right up front. I went and I sat in that chair. And as soon as I sat down, the bailiff came out. She got ordered in the court. Then the judge walked out, came out with his robes, with these glasses at the end of his nose like this. And he picked up the big bat, a mallet and he pounded it on the desk. And he said, order in the court. First name right out of the blocks was mine. Well, Mr. Edward William Glover, please come to the stand. So I walked up, and he put me right in front of the microphone on his right-hand side, and then he called for the officer. He said, Officer so-and-so. Nothing happened. He said his name again. Nothing happened. And I stood there, and I thought to myself, oh, good grief, God answered my prayer. He's not going to let the guy show up. Then the door opened up, and the officer walked out. Man, I'll tell you what, false hope is a horrible thing. He stood right there at the microphone, and the judge looked at him and said, what, what happened? Tell me what happened. He told him exactly, accurate, every detail, what I did. And he looked at me and said, Mr. Glover, what do you have? I said, Your Honor, everything that this man just said is absolutely the truth. But I, I just plead the mercy of the court. <laughs> yeah, just like, that's exact. Those hundred plus people, they started giggling. 
And then all of a sudden it went to a crescendo of laughter. I mean, it was, they were howling in this room at my expense. The bailiff looked at me like I had three heads. The, the officer looked at me like, you an idiot or what? But the judge was classic. He just stood there, never, no, no new expression, just looked at me with these glasses at the end of his nose. And he picked up that mallet and he pounded it on that desk. And then he leaned up towards me and he said, not guilty. Not guilty. When he said not guilty, that room that was moving to a crescendo of laughter went cold, dead silent. I mean, silent. You could hear a pin drop. And then I could hear these people mumbling behind me, I think I'm going to try that. <laughs> and there I stood. And I didn't move. And he took my ticket. He ripped it up and he said, you can go now. And I stood there. He said, Mr. Glover, you're not guilty. You can go now. I finally got myself under composure. I started walking away. The officer walked with me. I said, do you ever see him do that? He said, never. I walked out, got in my car, drove out of the parking, parking lot, drove onto the street, came up to a red light and stopped. And I waited for that light to turn green. As I was driving through that light, that green light, I tell you the truth, I went back to the office, I went back to the judge, picking up that mallet and pounding it on a desk. And I don't know how God did this for me, but somehow he turned it around in my mind. And all of a sudden I saw a hammer go up. And that hammer was pounding nails into my Savior's hands and into his feet. And every time that hammer went up and pounded, I could hear Jesus from the cross saying this to me and to you, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. That's called mercy. That's Christmas and Easter combined. Jesus is the Savior. And the Bible says, for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Remember, it says, for who should ever, anybody can believe. And if you believe, he'll save you. If you want to believe today, would you please bow your heads with me? We're going to pray together. I'm going to give you that opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ today. But the thing you need to understand is this. That when you come to Jesus, you've got to admit that you've sinned. You've got to trust what he did on the cross he did for you. But also you've got to commit your life to him. When I made a commitment to, G to Tammy, when I got married to her, I had to bring my will I had to say to Tammy, I, I'm going to love you, I'm going to commit to you, and no one, everybody else I'm saying no to, only to you I say yes. And when I made that commitment, I made that commitment not privately, but publicly, so that everybody knew who I was with, who I was committed to. For a minute, I want you to look up at me one more time before we pray. I want, you know, it's so important to understand this. Many of us have gone to church for a long time and somehow you can get caught, caught into the idea that going to church and doing all these things. But if you're not willing to identify with Jesus Christ, if you have a private faith, my friend, you're really, it's really questionable whether you have a faith. Girls, let me ask you something. Would you commit yourself to a man who's unwilling to identify with you? Guys, would you commit yourself to a woman who's unwilling to, to, to identify? It wants to run around in the world and, and then come over here and hang out with you. and Wouldn't ever really commit? Are you really going to believe that they love you and they're committed to you? Then Jesus says this, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. See, a lot of times we play this game. We know we understand all that we believe. We say we trust Jesus. But when you look at the actions, you look at your life, you say, man, I'm denying him all the time, doing my own thing, going run around. I will never let anybody know who I am or who I stand for. 
My friend, if that's you, you've got to commit. This day, and I'll tell you something, you really get serious and commit yourself to Jesus Christ, he's already committed to you, and he'll transform your life. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. It's the greatest decision of your life. He'll change you right here and right now. The prayer doesn't save you. Jesus does. Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for denying you. Forgive me for rebelling against you. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. I ask for the fullness of your Spirit, and I ask it right now. I thank you for what you've done for me. Help me to serve you the rest of my life. Help me to grow by coming to church and being part of the body. Do this. Do this, Lord Jesus. Help me to love you and to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Folks, you prayed that prayer today, believe me. You come talk to the pastors, we'll help you, help you to know how you can walk with him. But take communion, knowing this communion is for you.